You know, our world obviously is an ungodly place. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not here tonight to rail against the ungodliness in our world because I'm preaching to the choir in a sense when I do all that. There's really no point in me standing up and telling you how, how ungodly our world is. You watch the news, you, you go to different places. You, you know that. There, there's, I mean, that, that goes without saying. At the same time, you know, I, I think it, it, it's so ungodly that we probably get the sense sometimes that the world has never really been worse than it is now. Uh, we see just the downward progression of things. We just think, good grief. I mean, what, what are they going to think of next to lead us down another path of, of sin and, and evil in our world? And it's not just one particular group of people or any particular thing. It's just it, as a whole. I mean, we just live in an ungodly place. And, and it's interesting, though. You know, maybe our world has been worse. Maybe it hasn't. But there's certainly other people that have faced our same dilemma. What, what do those who want to follow God do in a very ungodly world? We're not alone. We're not the first people who have, have, you know, have, have gone across that ground. And so we, we have the good fortune of looking both in the Bible and then, of course, at other examples, people who have come before us, to see what, what does God want people to be doing. If you live in an ungodly world, what are you supposed to be doing? And so I think as we look at the story of Noah tonight, we'll discover here's, here's how you can be godly in an ungodly world. Whether you're in there every single day or not, anytime you go outside of these walls, you will face an ungodly place. We take for granted a lot of times that things are godly in here. I hope that they are most of the time. But you understand what I mean. When we leave this place, wherever you go, you go to the store, you go to work, you go wherever, you're going to face that. And so we've all got to know how can we live in an ungodly world. Look at Genesis chapter 6. The story of the flood takes up about three chapters from beginning to end, and we're not going to read all three chapters tonight, so you can breathe easy. We, we won't do that tonight. I want to hit some highlights, though, with the general assumption that the majority of the people, if not all the people here tonight, probably know the basic facts about the story. But I want to draw out some things that I, I think maybe we can, can learn from tonight. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme in his mind thought, his mind thought of, of, excuse me, let me start over, and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off the face of the earth man whom I have created together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. The, the point of the story, uh, why this is in here, is not, I don't think, not really to tell us why did God and how did God destroy the earth. It's pretty obvious why. We can get that pretty easily. The world was a very wicked, evil, ungodly place. And as a result, God was completely justified in wiping it off the map, just as he would be today. If God decided in heaven, I am tired of all those people and tired of what they're doing, just like in Genesis 6, I don't know that we could say a whole lot to God if he said, I'm going to wipe them out. We'd probably say, you know what? I would too if I were God. I'd wipe them out. And so the story I don't think is really to, to prove why did God or how did God destroy the earth. I think we can find a major theme in the story by looking at verse 8. Noah, however, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's interesting that only one person in his family found favor in God's eyes. 
Now, I, I don't know, and because we don't have records of every single other person that was on earth, but for some reason, Noah was going to be spared from all of this. So there was something that both by God's grace and by Noah's choice that he was doing that somehow God said, this is the guy I'm going to hang on to. Here's how I'm going to, to prolong life on the earth through this one man and, and what he's about. And so I, I think we, we can look and, and see hopefully from Noah uh, why, why he found favor with the Lord. Uh, think about if you go back to, to living, Noah obviously living in a world, it says, uh, where the man's wickedness in verse 5 was widespread, and every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. Now, we can certainly say that about our time period. We certainly have no, no uh, inclination that, that uh, wickedness is not widespread. Obviously, we know it is. That people, it just seems that they're constantly coming up with some other way to fall into sin. And so, so we, we relate to Noah. Read yourself into the story just a little bit. Imagine that this was written about 21st century America because it's probably not that far off. God, when he looks at our country, our world as a whole, probably could say their wickedness is widespread. It seems that everything they think of is just for more wickedness and evil. I mean, all they think about is how to fulfill their desires. They act on their impulses. They just do whatever feels right. And I, I wonder if maybe God would say the same thing about us. And so we see that we're faced with a very similar situation uh, people who don't follow God, they just do what they feel is best. Sin being everywhere, and it seems that it's getting progressively worse. And so we're faced, I think, with a choice, uh, as I believe probably Noah was at this time. What will our choice be on how to best handle the world in which we live? I think we've got two options. I think one of those options is to retreat and protect ourselves. I think we can sort of fold up our tent, so to speak, get as close to the ground as possible, huddle up, and hope that nothing bad happens to us. That's certainly one way. You, you probably have seen people who have done that. They live in an ungodly world, so what they do is sort of go back as far as they can, cover their head, and hope nothing happens at all bad to them. They hope they don't get touched by anybody who's evil because they're scared to death they may fall into that, or that some kind of curse is coming on them if they get even close to anybody who's not a Christian. And a lot of times that's what we choose to do, is just sort of retreat and protect ourselves. Now, understand what I'm not saying is that we, we should never retreat and sort of say, whoa, I'm not going to get involved with that. That's not the point in any way. I'm talking about the course of our life. What are we set on? Are we set on just constantly backing away and say, well, the world is so evil, I'm not even going to get involved with it. I'm not going to do anything at all to try to help. I think then, if that's our mentality, we run into some issues. Then we have no Christians out in the world doing anything. We have no Christian educators and so on. We, we have nobody who's a hairdresser who just says, you know what, I'm a Christian, here I am. We have, if our mentality is constant retreat, retreat, protect, protect, then I think we have sort of sealed the deal and said, well, I, I don't want anything to do with the world. I question how, then how much love we truly have for those people who are lost and going to hell. So I think the other option is then to learn and to begin, if we haven't already, learn how to live godly in that ungodly world. As much as we'd love to say, well, I don't want anything to do with it, many of us tomorrow will get up and encounter and live in an ungodly world. How are you going to do that? And so I think we look at Noah's life and we see some things. Noah just sort of living godly. Now look at verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. And, and, and very quickly, here's what we learn about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. 
we see very quickly his example. When it says he was righteous, that simply means that he lived by God's standards. That was his rule against himself. It was not, how is everybody else doing? What does everybody else think? But what does God say? He lived by God's standard. If you think about it, certainly we, 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 we have an idea of what God's standard is, and we have the good fortune of having the New Testament as well. You remember in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 where Jesus is talking, he says, you know, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. Are you familiar with that passage of Scripture there? He says, you know, you've heard it said, uh, don't, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even let hatred enter your heart because that's just as bad. That, that's murder in your heart and, and without even making the physical act. He said, I, I've, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust in your heart because lust is adultery of the heart. And so Jesus sort of raises the standard. We have obviously a different standard. Noah had a different standard than everybody else around. And so as a result, if we are to live godly in an ungodly world, we follow Noah's example to live according to God's standard, not the standard that the world lives by or even what many churches might profess that we ought to live by. But we go straight to God's word. What does God say I should be living like? And that's my standard. It says also he was blameless among his contemporaries. That simply means I mean, if you looked at everybody around there, he was set apart. He was different. There was something. He lived with conviction. He lived with some, some, uh, some real uh, purpose in his life that I'm not going to give in on these things. No compromise, as we mentioned earlier. He was set apart and blameless. If you had put him up against all the other people who claimed to follow God, there probably would have even been a separation among those people, that he was wholeheartedly devoted to following God. And that didn't mean, and this is where we can get ourselves in trouble, that didn't mean that he was a legalist, that if he just checked off all the boxes on what God had said and he got all the gold stars for perfect attendance at church and Sunday school and memorized all the verses, that he was okay. But what it meant was that his heart was completely devoted to God. He was among the people he was around. There was nobody like him. You've probably known somebody like that. They, they seem to be, as, as Gene mentioned a minute ago, at first you think, well, they're a little bit weird. What's wrong with them? They're really serious about this. Even in church, think about it. Somebody who's just not, they're not exactly worried about what everybody even in church thinks. They just want to know Jesus. We think, well, wait a minute. Something's a little different with them. They don't, they don't quite do things the way that we think they ought to do. They actually go after the Lord a little bit. What's going on? Have you ever been around somebody like that who make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Noah's probably that guy. He was a guy who was set apart even from the people that maybe claimed to follow God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, what do they say? Don't be conformed any longer to this age, but be transformed, be set apart, be different, be made completely different. Noah was just like that. Then it says, Noah walked with God. A few, a few verses before this, in chapter 5, there's a man named Enoch, who the Bible says, he walked with God and he was no more. He was a guy who was intimate with God in such a way that God said, you know what? You don't have to die. Just come on. And, and we, right in the middle of this passage where in, in chapter 5 where it says how long people lived and he died, Enoch was no more, which means God took him. He walked with God in such a way. Now, I can't guarantee you that if you walk with God in this way that somehow you're just going to be, you know, just kind of up to heaven and there you go. I, I can't say that. But, but it's interesting that Enoch was said to have walked with God and then Noah the same way. In Micah chapter 6, the Bible says that we, what does God want from us? 
And, and it says in, in verses 6 through 8, does he want all these sacrifices? The only thing we can do? It says, no. He's shown you, it says, what is good. And, the, and he ends with this. Mike ends. Walk humbly with your God. Kind of hearkening back to Enoch and to Noah. These guys who just walk with God. To have an intimate relationship with the Lord. I, I think of this. If you walk with somebody through life, and Drew mentions this, the guys that, in the service, you kind of walk through life with them. You're, you, the guys that I've played with, the people that I've been close friends with, you, you are sort of on the same path. The people that you choose to walk with, you're going to share the same passions, the same interests. You're going to get excited about the same things. You're going to get disappointed about the same things. Your purpose is going to be the same thing. You're going to link arms, so to speak, and here we go. We are all going to be on the same page. Think about if you had that kind of relationship with God. Some of you do. And you say, I am linked in with God. And you know what? My mind is set on the things his mind's set on. And I view people with love the same way God does. And I am going after them to, to see if, if God may save them for all eternity and use me to do it. And that's my purpose. That is what walking with God is all about. Noah shared that with God. Very intimate, close relationship. It's interesting that it would say he was righteous. He lived by God's standard. He was blameless. He was set apart. He walked with God. He shared passion, enjoyment, purpose. He shared God's sorrow even. And then God tells him in verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for all flesh had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, verse 13, I have decided to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Verse 14 starts the instructions for the ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof finishing the sides of the ark within eight, to within 18 inches of the roof. Put a door on the side. Make, it, make lower, middle, and upper decks. And then verse 17, Understand that I am bringing a deluge, floodwaters on the earth to destroy all flesh under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on the earth will die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. And then verse uh, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. And then he tells him everything to do. Think of a big box that's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. This was not a ship that we think of in today's terms. This was a giant box made only to float, not to navigate, just to float, and keep stuff inside so that it wouldn't get wet and drown. You cannot hide a big box that's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. So, Noah, this blameless, righteous, walking with God man who's set apart and living godly as best he can in an ungodly world, has to build a giant box like the world has never seen in front of everybody for something that's going to happen that had never even been hinted at before. There had been no rain. There had been no flood. There had been nothing like this. So understand that Noah, not only was he righteous by God's standards, blameless, set apart, walking with God, sharing who God was, but he built something nobody could miss. He did not crawl into a corner 
and hoped that the rain wouldn't hit him. He had to build a giant box in front of everybody. We don't have any recording, really, of the interactions he had with the evil people that came around and said, what on earth are you doing? And why are you building a giant box? Well, it's going to rain. What? What is rain? Well, it's this water that's going to fall. What are you talking about? Well, the whole earth is going to be covered in water and everybody's going to die except me and my family and the animals I take on here. Right. Imagine, just for a second, if he talked to anybody, which you would think, you build a box 450 feet long in your front yard, somebody's going to say something to you about it. The zoning board is coming to find you. Okay? Eddie Clyde is tracking you down as your magistrate. All right? He may not want to, but he's got to by law. Here he comes. Imagine the people that pass by and think, what on earth are those goofballs doing? What was Noah doing? Why was he building this ginormous box in his front yard? He was building it in plain sight. There could be no way that anybody could miss this. He was living godly in an ungodly world in a very, very public way. Yes, sir. As far as we know, it hadn't rained up until this point. Now, the biology of it is beyond me. I'm not that kind of guy because I don't know that kind of stuff. But you're, you're right. There, there, is, there have been people who have studied this that are a whole lot smarter than I am. And, and generally what I read was even the atmosphere was very different, that there was almost sort of a, a kind of a blanket, so to speak, that kept everything more humid and that sort of thing so that things had the chance to grow. And some people theorize... Don't take this to the bank. Some people theorize that that atmosphere that was originally created was what fell as rain, and as a result, it was so full of water that it flooded the entire earth. Now, again, those are speculations, and I can't comment in concrete on that, but you're right. I think there was probably something that happened, though we don't get record of it. Obviously, Moses writing, uh, you know, somewhat to to our dismay, not telling us every single detail as to what happened, but, but that's a great, great question. But he lived it in a public way. There's no way he could hide from his godly life because even if somebody came up and said, why are you building this big box in your yard? What's he going to tell them? Well, uh, you know, we just, we, we, we wanted to rent the place out because, you know, we needed a little extra money. I mean, what's he going to tell them? He had no choice. God told me he's going to destroy the earth because it's so wicked and I need to build a box so I can stay alive. Now, you say, well, okay, big deal. But he didn't follow God in secret. He didn't huddle up with him and his family hoping that nothing bad would happen. He, he, didn't, he didn't hope that people would just think he's a good guy and then sort of in his closet only talk to God. I mean, here it is, public. He lived it and people probably didn't get it. They probably thought he was crazy. I, I have a friend who, who told me a story about when he, when he was in high school, he was a guy who tried his best to live for God and and he, he, played, uh, he played on a team, and people didn't, they didn't get it. And late, about 10 years later, well, probably less than that, about seven or eight years later, he had a, one of his high school teammates come up to him, and he said, look, he said, I want you to know that I, I've recently given my life to the Lord. And he said, when we were in high school, t- telling this, this, his friend, he said, when we were in high school, he said, we all thought that you were crazy. He said, we thought there was something wrong with you. Gene, kind of like what you're talking about. He said, we just thought that you were a little bit off because you didn't do this and you went to church and you tried to follow God and all that. He said, but what we realized, what I realize now, this guy talking to me, he said, after, after I've gotten saved, what I realize is you just had something we didn't have. People are probably going to think you're nuts. 
you truly live for God in a public way, and I'm not talking about anything like Drew saying, and not obnoxious and banging people over the head. You understand what I mean. But if you refuse to hide the fact that I am a follower, a devoted, wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, people are probably going to think you're nuts. But at the same time, maybe over time, they'll realize, you know what, they've just got something that I don't have. Noah had to live this in a public way. There are two verses that I think are absolutely incredible that sort of sum up what Noah was about. Look at chapter 6, verse 22. God has just described for him, here's what you are to do, how you're to build the ark, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to get in it. And it says in verse 22, And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. It sort of leaves nothing out. Whatever God said, Noah did it. It, it, pretty simple. We talked about that a little bit this morning. Sometimes it's just simple. Read the Bible, do what it says. And then chapter 7, verse 5. And the same thing. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. But you, you want to be a person who lives godly in an ungodly world. Do everything God has commanded you. Whatever God has said, do it. Whatever he has said not do, don't do it. It really becomes pretty simple. Whatever God has commanded, we are to do. Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, is a book about the people, some people call it the hall of faith. It's sort of this highlighting of these different people who express some faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, after being warned about what was not yet seen in reverence, built an ark to deliver his family. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that, be, that comes by faith. Not only did he live it publicly, not only was he blameless and righteous and walking with God, not only did he do all those things and do everything that God commanded, he did it after being warned about what had not yet been seen. Noah lived by faith. You choose to live godly in an ungodly world, you're going to live in a fog most of the time. And what I mean by that is this. You're not going to know everything that's going to happen. There are going to be days when it's going to be unexpected. But you live godly in that ungodly world, and even what's not seen gives you hope. Even what hasn't happened yet gives you strength to carry on. Noah, in the face of public ridicule, most likely, in the face of an evil world, he lived it publicly the way God had said, and he didn't even know what was going to happen. God just told him, something's going to happen, I'm going to flood everything. And in light even of what had not been seen yet, he was still committed to live it. It takes courage. It takes faith to live godly in an ungodly world. Anybody, anybody can live a life knowing every single thing that's going to happen. But to live by faith takes courage. Noah didn't need all the answers, he just trusted God. And as we read just a minute ago, an interesting sort of caveat in all of this, Chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, talks about, in verse 18 in particular, God says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. His godly living in an ungodly world affected his family. It, it rubbed off on them. God had favor and pleasure with them. We have no record whether or not they were completely as godly as Noah, but something about him rippled out through his family. It made a difference. And one final thing, for those of us who find ourselves in the latter third of life, Noah lived to be 950. 
He built the ark when he was 600. Now, that just seems outrageous, right? Because we think, okay, that, that doesn't make sense, you know? But consider this. Let's break it down by, by, you know, tens here. Let's say that he lived to be 95. At age 60, he got started. I'm not there yet. Lord willing, I'll make it one day. I hope that when the story is written about me, when somebody remembers what I was about, that at age 60, I'm still just getting started. That in that latter third of my life, I'm, I'm just getting going. I'm just, you know what? Now is when we pick up the story of Noah. He had kids when he was 500. A little bit different than today. But at age 600, picture at age 60, here he is. He's getting started on the most incredible journey of his life. He doesn't even know what's going to happen. And he's fine with it. Because he's living godly in an ungodly world. If you find yourself in that latter third of life, take some courage from Noah. God's not done. He has not forgotten you. He has not said, you know what, it's just time for you to, to, to just hand it off to somebody else and forget about it. He said, no, 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 I've got something for you. Keep going. Keep being active. Keep being godly and ungodly wherever you go. No matter where you are, what store you go to, what encounters you have, who you play golf with, it doesn't make any difference. Live godly in an ungodly world and just see what happened. Noah never stopped. 600 years old when the flood came. I think sort of a closing statement in my mind that I, that I want to leave with is to make it very simple. How do we live godly in this ungodly world? I think we look at Noah's example of someone who was blameless and, and righteous and, and living it very publicly and not backing down and doing everything that God said. He sort of attacked the world by simply trusting what God said and doing it. Very simply. That may sound very elementary, and you think, well, that's not very profound. No, it's really not. not. I'm not that smart. It's just simple. Noah attacked the world. He went after his ungodly world with just a simple trust and obedience to God. What God said, he did. What, what, what God said, trust me on, he trusted. And so when you get discouraged or scared or confused or whatever about this ungodly world, attack. Attack the world with simple trust and obedience in God. Live according to God's standard. Be righteous. Be set apart from those people who are around you. As the Bible says, be blameless when compared with your contemporaries. Be intimate. Share with God His passion, His heartbeat, what He wants to happen, and walk with God. Build that big old boat in your front yard, that big box, so that everybody can see it. Live it publicly. It'll rub off on your family when you do everything that God has commanded. And if you find yourself in the latter third of life, remember Noah got started at age 60 or 600. He got started in that latter third of his life. God's not done. And so as we live godly in an ungodly world, I hope we take a little bit of encouragement from a familiar story. If you'd like for me to, I'll stick around and read you all three chapters of the story. We can pretend like we're in Sunday school. If not, I'm sure you'll be pleased to go here in just a second. But the world needs people to live godly in an ungodly world. People who say, you know what, I'm going to live it publicly. That box is going to be built in my front yard. And I'm not going to hide it. And I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to be smart about how I go about it, but I'm not retreating. I'm going to attack the world with simple trust and obedience in God. See what happens. I know from experience it's not easy, but it's worth it. I know from experience that there are times when it's confusing, but I wouldn't, wear, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else.
There's, there's no path I'd, I'd rather be on than, than the one that leads to Jesus and the one that, that represents him. So uh, let's, let's pray and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great example in, in the scripture tonight of Noah who just lived according to your standard, was different than the people around him, was, was a guy who just walked with you. He did everything that you commanded him to do. God, help us to be people like that so that we're not worried about what everybody else is doing and how ungodly our world is, but, Lord, we are, we are attacking that world with simple trust and obedience in you. Thank you that that kind of stuff rubs off on our families. And, Lord, when we do it publicly, we've got the chance to be used by you in incredible ways. Or put that before us this week. Help us to see what we ought to be doing. Pray that you'd help us take advantage and perceive those opportunities when a lost person, a person who may need encouragement, anybody at all that you put in our path, God, help us to be wise, prompt us. Holy Spirit, we pray. And Lord, we give you praise and glory for what you are doing in our lives and in the life of this church and our community. God, we pray that, that there'd be something that would happen in Murray and Callaway County that nobody could explain. Lord, that your spirit would take hold of this place, take hold of us first. Make us so contagious about you that, that the nation would take notice of what's going on in West Kentucky. Of all places, God, would you do something here? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we look forward to what you'll do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.